0: Thank Hi all and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Open House. We're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that you can truly experience life advancement without having to spend thousands of pounds on -on one-on-one therapy. We believe that happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. If you love this episode today, please do share on social media and tag us at Open House Life as well as tagging Dr. Tari and I. Now, into the episode, and it's a juicy one. So, for anyone that has not yet watched this documentary, a little bit of background about what was going on here. So, the Tinder swindler followed a pattern. He would match with women on Tinder, take them on a costly and impressive first date, often involving his private jet, and then would build a relationship with them where he would fly them around the world whilst also dating other women. At some point, he would confide in them that he was worried about a group of his enemies, at which point he would send a photo or video of his bleeding bodyguard allegedly injured by these enemies. Once all of that groundwork had been laid, he would then urgently message the girlfriend saying that his credit card couldn't be used for security reasons and that he needed her to open a new one in her name. So, Dr. Terry, my first question is, what the fuck, excuse my language, Mm. is going on with this man? You know. What, what is going on in his head?
1: Well, we will never really understand what's going on in his head because we are neither a psychopath or a sociopath. Psychopaths and sociopaths lack empathy and they lack a conscious. Well, sociopaths may have a tiny bit of a conscious. It doesn't matter because they don't use it. They don't listen to it. They may know what they're doing is wrong, but they do it anyway. Because they don't care about other people's feelings. They are focused on getting their needs met, getting what they want. And this guy, like we've said before, he's a master manipulator. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's crazy. It just, I think a lot of us can't relate to this situation at all because it's just such outside of the box behavior. And I guess if you have a conscience and you have some level of empathy, this is just like the most extremely strange behavior. So I think my next question is people that are like this, maybe psychopaths, sociopaths, you know, very high on the narcissistic scale. What has had to have happened to a person for them to become this person? Are they born like this? Have they kind of learned in childhood to kind of be this way?
1: How does that work? We don't know for sure, but research tends to... Point to the fact that psychopaths are born that way. So the difference between psychopaths and sociopaths are that psychopaths are more calculating. They think very far ahead, you know, and psychopaths are generally the ones that are violent and kill people. They don't always have to kill people. They're not always violent, but they're the ones that seem to have everything in control, Even though both psychopaths and sociopaths are extremely charming, psychopaths are the ones where people are like, I never suspected. Whereas sociopaths tend to be impulsive. They're more reactive. And research tends to believe that nurture is more involved in the development of sociopathy. Right? So sociopaths have had some extreme trauma in their childhood or over many, many years, whether it's with attachment or abuse that helped them develop these sociopathic tendencies. Either way, the impact is the same. Yeah, that is really fascinating because I was listening to a podcast earlier today about how
0: Julia Fox, ex-girlfriend of Kanye West, has spoken about being very desensitized as a result of the trauma that she went through as a child. And also having had an ex-boyfriend who has Gone through an insane amount of childhood trauma. And, you know, he's definitely not a sociopath or a psychopath. He actually was a wonderful person. But I think it's interesting to understand that concept of how, in some situations, it can be this sliding scale where these traumatic incidents can sort of potentially desensitize you over time and then develop these personality traits. So I know that later in the episode, we're going to go into all of the red flags that we picked up, you picked up, particularly from her perspective. So things that she should have noticed before she did. But I think before we get into that and seeing as we are talking about Simon right now, what I wanted to ask you was, do you think he picked her because he knew that she was weak? Do you think that he was looking for specific types of people that would, you know, buy into this, like really wanted to be loved, really
1: enamored with the private jets and the money? Do you think he was actively picking his targets? Here's the thing. A lot of women who are bright, successful, empathic, wonderful, beautiful people end up being manipulated, myself included, in my 20s by these narcissistic or sociopathic or psychopathic partners. And we think, oh, it's because of our empathy that this happened to us. But really it's because... We didn't set boundaries in the beginning. We didn't run away the first time these behaviors showed up. So a narcissist, a sociopath, a psychopath is going to continue to manipulate women or people who continue to allow it. I do believe there probably were women who did not fall for this. You know, when he sent them a link to his hotel, they're like, oh, hell no you know, who does this guy think he is? One thing I want to say about that is the women Mm. who did fall for this or do end up in these relationships with manipulative men. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they're weak. It's not because anything's wrong with them. It's because they needed this relationship to learn that the area of boundaries around their empathy, around healthy boundaries in general, is some place that they need to grow. You get out of this sort of abusive relationship and you feel so stupid, but it's not that you're stupid. It's that you were loving and caring and trusting, which are all beautiful qualities that you need to have to be in a healthy relationship, but you lacked knowledge of what healthy boundaries are. And if you don't have that understanding, there's no way you could have done it differently. So I just want women and anyone listening, women and men, to understand that if you were in a situation like this where you were manipulated, you were lied to, that it's not your fault. It's not that you did anything wrong. It's just that you have learning and growing to do like we all do.
0: Oh, I love that. There is so much shame around it. The fact that we are both on here and have gone through a situation like this and can talk about it so openly, I hope shows everyone listening that there is no shame around this. But I held so much shame around it for a while how I could have entertained a relationship for so long with someone that was so erratic and had treated me so badly and took me such a long time to leave you know I did not leave at the first red flag I didn't even leave at the hundredth red flag I didn't leave at the first aggressive argument I didn't leave the first time he threw a glass against the wall you know I just stayed and stayed and stayed and that was my empathy I wanted to love him better but you're right We need to use these situations to show us kind of where our weak spots are. I think this actually is a great time for us to start talking about attachment hunger, because once I started learning about attachment hunger, I started to understand why men and women can end up in these situations with these types of people treating us so badly and us hanging around for such a long time. So I'd love it if
1: you could tell me a little bit more about attachment hunger. Yeah, so attachment hunger comes from childhood if we didn't form healthy attachments. We weren't we weren't given the opportunity to have a healthy attachment with our parental figure, right? Which is what we all need as children and as humans. And so we go into adulthood hungry, desperate, starving and yearning for that feeling of attachment and safety. You know, feeling seen, feeling heard feeling safe. I think the victims of Simon Levy, you know, probably all or most did struggle with this attachment hunger because what happens is that we go into our romantic relationships and we're so hungry for that attachment, that attention, that we mistake attention for genuine interest, even for love, right? So the main woman in the story, she you know, felt like she was his girlfriend. She believed she was his girlfriend after that one trip on his airplane. And he he made her believe that and she believed it. But in reality, attention is so easy. And we need to understand that we need to take our time and discern whether a person is healthy, consistent, genuinely interested in us whether he's honest, you know, all of these qualities that make up a healthy partner. But until we've become healthy, until we've developed these healthy boundaries, until we've learned how to connect and attach to ourselves, if we're struggling with attachment hunger, we're going to attach very quickly to anyone who gives us attention if we feel attraction toward them because we're so hungry for it. And it's dangerous because we end up giving ourselves over to someone who isn't safe, who maybe doesn't have our best interest at heart. So the main character, I don't remember her name, the nice Norwegian girl.
0: There were so many red flags from the beginning. But I'd love from your perspective, therapist, celebrity, relationship expert, what kind of things were glaring and jumping out of the screen at you that she was ignoring from the beginning?
1: So the very first thing was there was zero conversation before he asked to meet her before you decide to meet someone, there are certain questions you need to ask. One of the questions that people always need to ask before you decide to meet someone in person. And this is assuming that you're looking for a relationship, right? So this is for people who are actually looking to find love and not just something casual. So many people are afraid of asking this question. So you need to ask, what are you looking for on the app? Okay, that's the first thing. But it doesn't stop there because the other person will probably say, oh, a relationship. Now, if they say something like, you know, just a good time or something casual, then you know it's not a match. But most of the time, somebody will say, oh, I'm looking for a relationship, right? But you don't stop there. What I want you to know is you have to own what you're looking for. And so you say something like, you know, I just want to be clear that I'm ready to invest in someone when I find the right person. And I don't want to waste my time with someone who isn't in that place, too. Is that something you're looking for? And let's say we're talking about men and women. If you're a woman asking that question and a man is scared off by that, he's not looking for a relationship because you didn't say, I want to get married to you. You said, when I find the right person, I'm ready to invest and build something. A man who gets scared off by that is not looking for a relationship. A man who is looking for a relationship will be like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. The reason that I'm grinning like a Cheshire cat over here is because Dr. Terry and I had
0: a discussion maybe six to eight months ago where I went on a date with someone very handsome, very nice, blah, 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 but not very good at communicating. And I came off the date and I was like, well, I think it went well. He said this and he said this and he said this. And Dr. Terry said, well, why haven't you asked him what he wants? And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't ask So I think this is actually a great time to ask. Why do we not ask those questions? Is it because now I think six to eight months down the line, I 100% agree. If I was to use a dating app, I would also say that because there have been so many times when I've gone on a date with someone and they just want to hook up, they just want to sleep with me. And it's just like, they don't want to invest in something. And I do want to invest in something when I meet the right person. So now I would 100% have that conversation and I'm fully on board with that. But I want to ask you, why... Do we not? Like, if someone is listening to this and they were like me, it makes them cringe a bit. The thought of asking that question are we scared of rejection? Are we scared of ending something? What's going on there?
1: Well, yes, it's fear. And it's also not stepping into your power, right? It's not owning what you want and then only being available for that. So, when women don't want to have that conversation, From the beginning, we don't want the interaction to end. We don't want the relationship to end. So we're willing to just hope, but we're wasting our time. If we know what we want, we have to only make ourselves available for that. And you are not going to scare off a person who also wants that. I want to make that so clear when women say, well, I don't want to scare them off. You'll only scare him off if he doesn't want a relationship. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more with that. And I think what I want to add here from my own personal experience is you don't have to hope that someone's going to like you. You don't have to wait to prove to them that you're pretty enough, sexy enough, smart enough, funny enough. And I think that is a big part of where this silence comes from. And I think that it ties into that more performative nature. But definitely when I was younger, you put on this facade the first few months, you're dating someone and you just want them to like you and fancy you and choose you. I guess that's what it's about. You want someone to choose you and you're scared that if you speak your truth and step into your power, they won't choose you. But now, since I've been doing this work, just like we spoke about in the last episode about ghosting is we have to act with integrity. And if someone does not choose us, then they were never our person in the first place. And actually, wouldn't we prefer to experience a slight amount of rejection in weeks zero to four when you find out that they just want to hook up or they're not interested in a relationship or they're getting over a divorce or whatever it is, rather than not having that conversation and then six months down the line being invested and then it kind of coming back to bite you in the butt. We have to step into our power and not be afraid of being too much. It's something that I've dealt with my whole life is like, I don't want to be too much. Like, too strong. I'm a powerful woman. I'm an independent woman. I can make a lot of money. I make it myself. I work very hard. And I think I've always had this fear of being too much. And actually what my ex-boyfriend taught me was that you are so lovable just the way you are. And we need to be okay with that. So it's super interesting that you say it comes from a fear-based place.
1: Yes. I am so over women waiting to be chosen. That is the backwards way to date. You need to go into dating. Knowing that you're going to be the one to choose, you have to do the appropriate discernment because it's in your power to choose you don't wait to be chosen. Yeah, so backwards. Yeah. So Back to the Tindler Swindler. I just want to say, if she would have asked this guy, like, what are you looking for? I mean, this guy's a manipulator. So he would have said, he would have said, whatever, like, yes, I'm looking for a relationship. So that's not the only question you need to ask. You need to get to know someone and ask some questions that measures their self-awareness, their empathy. And again, we'll go into that, but they had no conversation. They decided to meet. And the second red flag is he sends a link to his hotel. He expects her to come to his hotel. And also it was the Four Seasons. So that was, you know, he was trying to impress. Hell no, you don't go meet a guy on his turf. The guy should come to you. Come on. If he's not willing to put in effort on the first date, give me a break.
0: I'm blushing a lot again over here because I feel very seen by today's discussion because there have definitely been times, like, I remember when this famous guy was like, come to my hotel, we'll just watch a movie, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was so young and I couldn't say no because the story was just like so good. But I went, right? And now, 10 years later, I would never. i always meet in like a restaurant, even a breakfast, a coffee, a dog walk, I actually prefer to start in like a day setting rather than a night setting. I think it comes back to the standing in your truth again, is that when I was younger, I wouldn't have wanted to say, no, actually, I don't feel comfortable with that. Let's get a coffee. I would have just like suppressed, been silent, been quiet, and then gone. And what does that mean? Is it that instantly they're acknowledging that they're in a position of power and you're kind of bowing down to that? Or what does that lay the foundations of if you just do what they want from the outset?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're showing that you don't have any boundaries. We don't know the intention. Like with this guy, this was just his MO. He wanted to show off that he was at the Four Seasons. But in general, if a guy suggests meeting in his neighborhood where it's convenient for him, that completely shows a lack of effort. And if you agree to that, you're sending the signal that he doesn't need to give any effort yeah. and a relationship is going to continue that way. So you at least need to say, I'd feel more comfortable meeting in my neighborhood or somewhere in between. Yeah. And if a guy isn't willing to do that, don't even waste your time. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. You're so right. So more red flags. Yeah. So then they're on this first date. They have coffee at the hotel and then he asks her to go on a trip with him and she says, yes. And you know why? First of all, because there was chemistry, but second of all, because this guy had a private jet, but the thing is you can't focus on the wrong things. So many women talk about, like, oh, I want to marry a guy who's rich or who's a doctor, who's wealthy, or that would be great. But those things can be great if you find somebody who is also consistent and stable and healthy and can be attuned to you and will be a good partner to you. If you are focused on these peripheral things without the core qualities of a healthy, loving partner, you are so off course. You were never going to find yourself in a. Helpy and keeping the other person. She was just around. like, oh my God, this is incredible. But
0: from that moment, I was like, wow, you are like not in this for this guy. You know, there is some attachment here that is to so many things other than who he is. And right. also for me, another red flag was how his wife, ex wife, ex girlfriend, whatever she was, just kind of turned up with a child and he didn't tell her in advance. And she was just supposed to be fine with everything. It was almost like, the dynamic was that she just went into that suppressed silenced role from so early on in their connection and also another thing that came up for me was that you know obviously it was a tv program they had to paraphrase condense etc cetera, etc cetera, but it just like never seemed like they actually spoke about anything the whole thing was just i miss you come and see me i love you why me money i miss you you know they just yeah. weren't yeah. connecting and what is that when you're on this superficial level of connection is it because you don't know yourself or is it because you don't know what you're looking for what's kind of going on there when you're spending time with someone but you're just like not really spending time getting to know
1: them yeah i mean i think it's both i i do want to mention what you're talking about with the jet you know there's already a power differential at play she was just supposed to be happy to be there He didn't need to check with her, respect her, let her know that another woman was going to be there. She got to be on his jet. So, Uh you know, she should just be happy to be there. And she was fine with that. And you're right. As far as we know, their relationship was so superficial. And I think this is how people relate these days in dating. If people have not done work on themselves, which means they haven't done any self-exploration or self-reflection, then they don't know themselves well enough to inquire about the deeper parts of somebody else. And they don't expect somebody else to inquire about the deeper parts of them. They've never probably experienced genuine deep connection, which is the magic of life. That is what we should be looking for in our relationships, romantic and otherwise. But if we've never experienced that, we think that attraction and chemistry and fun dates and sex, that's it. Like what else is there? And that is just like the tip of the iceberg. That's never going to grow into anything more unless you know how to deepen a connection.
0: So what do we think of other reasons that she didn't kind of leave or end it sooner? So we've spoken about the attachment. There's obviously some desperate wanting to be chosen. She was super enamored by the jets and the lifestyle and the money and the fact that he had chosen her and that he would do this lavish love bombing, which she took as love, whereas it was actually just attention or validation. It would be interesting to know what her intuition was saying to her. Obviously, we're never going to know the answer to that, but... What I find is your intuition, it doesn't lie to you. It's always there telling you the truth. And do you see a lot in relationships or in dating people that are ignoring that intuition, that gut instinct, because they want to be chosen. They don't want the relationship to break down. They don't want to be judged by others. Do you think that there's like a niggle there often? Or do you think that actually, if you are really disconnected from yourself,
1: you can just not even be in touch with that gut instinct? I think a lot of people have never learned to tune into themselves or their intuition, right? It goes back again to childhood. If we were never asked about our internal experience, we're probably not connected to our internal experience unless we've done some of that work on our own. And we don't know that our gut, our intuition is always talking to us. There are also times when we may feel that or hear that. And we ignore it because we don't want the relationship to end. We don't want it to be true. So we know the truth or we know something's off, but we don't ask about it. We don't bring it up. We just suppress our feelings, ignore any discomfort and just continue on. And anytime we ignore our gut feeling, it's never good. When you're ignoring your intuition, you're out of alignment right? You're ignoring the truth. Your body, your heart, your soul is trying to tell you something. And so, you know, with this woman, my guess is she hadn't done the work to be able to tune into that. She was so focused on being the girlfriend of this guy who she felt was, and again, I'm not in her head, but she attached to him on the first date. She felt like his girlfriend on the first date and he's a master manipulator. So he, you know, he fed that story, but you can't possibly know somebody from the first date, second date, third date. It takes four seasons to really know somebody. And it's an accumulation of shared experiences and observing this person over different situations. So I want everybody listening to think about you know, this person that you are dating or have attached to already, have you seen this person in conflict? What happens when you bring up issues? Are you being honest? And when you are honest, how does this person respond? How do they deal with stress? How do they deal when the relationship has a problem? You know, these are all core, important features of a healthy partner. Somebody's going to stick around with you through the difficult stuff. And a lot of people don't understand that that's what you need to be looking for, not just level of income and attraction and status and how much attention they're giving you in the beginning.
0: I could not agree more. I think we live in a society today where we connect so quickly on a superficial level with people, Instagram likes, Instagram DMs, sleeping together, making out, whatever. But people don't really get to the levels of connection that we need to be to really be like setting the foundations. The old me would have been like that, you know, good time girl, let's party together. Let's hang out together. Let's go out, let's have a great time. But honestly, like I can't remember with some of my boyfriends in my 20s, like ever really sitting down And being like, what do you want from life? What makes you happy? I am loving you pulling out these red flags in the episode. So good to hear from a therapist, the kinds of things that we should be looking out for or red flags that we should have been seeing. Is there any other red flags that were coming to you throughout
1: the episode that you were thinking, "Uh uh-oh? So a couple, a big one is the fact that he asked her for financial help in the first place. I mean, anybody asking you for money within the first several months of a relationship is very weird. So that alone should have been a red flag. Second of all, when she was hesitant or asked questions or didn't give him the money fast enough, he got irritable. He got angry. He got agitated. And so he was not respecting her boundaries. He wasn't interested in her feelings. He was focused on what he wanted. And that is so important. When you set a boundary with somebody or attempt to set a boundary or express uncertainty or fear or something, if the other person gets angry or continues to push to get what they want, that is a complete disrespect of your boundaries. And that is one of the biggest red flags in any dating relationship or long-term relationship. Yeah,
0: I love that. I think that's something that I have really struggled with throughout my 20s. And it sounds so silly because setting boundaries should just be easy because it's like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. And so I don't want you to do that. But for me, it was so impossible to share that truth or to say, I don't like it when you do that. You know, you feel like you're overreacting. You know, sometimes they'll gaslight you into being like, oh my God, you make such an issue out of everything, blah, blah. And now I've sort of gone through this self work journey. I feel so calmly confident in my boundaries, which is that I know they're reasonable. Before I think when you haven't done the work, you're maybe gaslit into thinking that they're unreasonable objections. But actually when you know yourself and you know what your boundaries are, you can calmly and confidently put them in place. Whereas historically I would have been, you know, trying to fight against the boundaries and trying to be like, but this is why I felt like that. And actually now it's like, no, I don't need to do that anymore. And that's so empowering.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes you don't even give your partner or the person you're dating the opportunity to hear your feelings or respect your boundaries because of our history, whether it's childhood or other relationships, like you said, we don't feel that our feelings or truths or boundaries are valid or reasonable. And sometimes we're not even connected enough to ourself to feel what you just said, like it feels wrong. It feels uncomfortable. Right. And that's so much about what the work is, is connecting to yourself. So you even know what boundaries feel good to me instead of just people pleasing or focusing so much on the other person Mm. and keeping the other person around. I see my
0: friends hooking up with people, getting a lot of attention and validation from men. And since I've started my own therapy journey, I've started to understand that sex, sexual validation, I guess, attention doesn't mean anything
1: really it's a short-lived spark right it's not a long-standing anything no it's a drug it's like a drug right and if we don't know that we're looking for that fix we just keep falling for that and we get the short-term fix and then we end up disappointed Mm -hmm. and so often we say we're dating because we want love but what we settle for is attention. And like you said, there's a huge difference. They are not the same thing.
0: Why do you think people do settle for attention? Do you think it's because maybe they haven't experienced that love as a child, so they don't know what they're
1: looking for? Or do you think they're maybe scared of it? Or do you think it can be any combination of that? I think the number one reason is that people in childhood often didn't get that real deep Connected love. We didn't get the emotional attunement from our parents, our parents asking us about our internal world. How are you? How are you feeling? As kids, we have to settle for what we get, and our parents are limited. So if somebody pays attention to us and we are someone who it needs that validation, also because we didn't get accurate mirroring as kids, which we've talked about before, mirroring is when your parents point out to you what you bring to the family, what you bring to the world, all the gifts and talents and your innate worth. A lot of people don't get that as kids. And so when somebody sees us, we think that's love. It feels good, but that's not love. It's not consistency. It's not stable over time, but it's enough. Because it's Mm -hmm. more than we've gotten before. I think a big thing that I realize in therapy as well is that you don't have to have gone through a horrible divorce, had
0: an absent parent, had a parent die, et cetera, et cetera, to experienced this like lack of attunement and I think that there is this huge generalization where it's like I've got two parents they were healthy we had a good life I have nothing to complain about I would have fitted into that category as well and actually what I've learned since is that there was a huge lack of emotional attunement to me in my family and for whatever reason, I felt like the black sheep that was on the outside of the family and, you know, so many layers to it. I don't hold it against my parents. They gave me a lot of love and care and support and, you know, everything that they could, but as humans, everyone is limited. But I think it's important to understand that you can still feel this attachment hunger without having gone through like a drastic situation that people might think, oh, that attachment hunger would only
1: be for people that lost xyz or you know something really serious happened absolutely i mean i have the same story i have two amazing parents but every single human as a child took on a role in the family every single family has spoken or unspoken emotional rules parents always have limitations so when i talk to someone and i say tell me about your childhood and they're like oh it was great it's clear to me they haven't done any work or self-exploration because you always need to understand your role, your emotional coping models, your templates of love and what that looks like. There's so much that you learned about love and yourself as a child that you are now reenacting. We can probably wrap up there, which is that my key summaries from this episode is that
0: attachment hunger is a real, real thing. I actually have a friend who is desperate to be loved it is the most intense version of attachment hunger that I've ever seen she is so desperate to be loved and chosen but it wasn't until I saw that in action that I really understood it because I think we mask it very well and we don't talk about it when I saw it with her it was like oh my goodness you are literally desperate just to be loved so I think my takeaways from this episode are that attachment hunger is real and we need to learn to feed ourselves before anyone else can feed us and I think staying attuned to those red flags as they come up you know as we slowly get to know someone on neutral turf not being intimate with them straight away finding out who they are what they want what they stand for and you know we're going to do another episode on sex at some point because I do not sleep with people when I meet them mm. and people think it's weird and people think it's abnormal but mm. it is the best thing I have ever done because nine times out of ten by the time that I want to sleep with you there is something that's come up that I'm like wow yeah this is not a thing yes. so I think those are my key takeaways from today you know, let's not ignore the red flags let's not ignore our gut instinct Let's not ignore what people around us are saying because we don't want to hear it. And let's be aware that sometimes we're looking outside of us to be filled up when ultimately we have to fill ourselves up first.
1: Do you think that's about right? Absolutely. And I think if you are someone who continues to be in these superficial relationships that are based on a lot of external factors, chemistry, attraction, and these relationships don't go anywhere, it's probably because you have a superficial relationship with yourself to some degree. And the deeper you get with yourself, the more deeply, you know, love and understand yourself, the more you're going to want to connect with somebody else on that level. And you won't be scared to do that.
0: I have nothing else to add to that. That is the most powerful, beautiful ending to this episode. So thank you so much. I feel like we've covered so much ground today. I love you and I'll see you very soon.
1: Love you too.